All right, we are in Hebrews 11, and some people call this the Hall of Faith because it's like the Hall of Fame of a whole bunch of faithful people. And it starts with just a great, um, a great, but not what you would think, definition of faith. And I don't want to use it as a definition. I wanted to use it as a description, which is better, right? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And I heard people before say that's the definition of faith. And that's kind of like saying the definition of apple pie is butter, cinnamon, apples, lard, if you're doing it right, flour. That's not the definition of an apple pie, right? I mean, it is the definition of an apple pie, but you don't get me anywhere if you say, would you like some lard, butter, flour, cinnamon, and apples? I'm going to be like, uh, can I just have the apples? Maybe the cinnamon. But if you say apple pie is like, it's like warm, it's like warmth and care and love, right? Isn't that the definition of apple pie? Yes. That's what this definition of faith is. Faith is, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Through so much of Hebrews so far, the repeating thing is hold on to your faith. Run after faith. Go after your faith in Jesus. Strengthen it. Be, be compelled. Spur one another on. Let's, let's do it. Hold on to it. Right? The first six chapters were all, here's how awesome Jesus is. And then from there it was, here's everything that Jesus has done. And now it's been so let's follow him wholeheartedly. And we're going to spend 11, chapter 11, looking at a whole bunch of people who followed him wholeheartedly. And look what the outcome was. Look what happened when they did it. So when we talk about faith through this whole chapter, he's laying down the opening thing. Here's what I'm talking about. It's assurance of things that are hoped for. It's confidence it's conviction of things that I can't show you. It's a conviction of stuff that's invisible. But I know, I know that it is, and I know that it exists. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So he starts with the cosmos, right? And we're going to work it into specific things. But it has to be by faith that you believe how everything was created. Because there's no way that we can figure out how everything was created. Uh, no matter what side you're on, whether you believe that it was made out of a whole bunch of turtles. We can't go find those turtles. And so it's by faith that you got to believe that the whole world was made by turtles. Whatever it is. Uh, I love... The, um, the astronomer, whatever, whatever he is, um, Stephen Hawking, I think he's an atheist and he's terrible and he said all kinds of things against God. And a long time ago, I read his, his most famous book and it, it was so funny because like on page four, it was like 
however everything was created, it's impossible for us to know what it was like before that. And so everything we have is a theory. I was like, he just said on page three, get ready. I'm going to just give you my made up theory that I made up without, without faith. The things that we believe with conviction is the substance of our faith. So first thing we understand God made everything. It's really wild. Then he begins a history of people of God who had faith. And you think, oh, well, that history has got to start with Adam and Eve, right? Oh, uh oh, it's kind of telling right from the beginning. If the story of faith in God doesn't start with Adam, it starts with Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. We're not going to go through every single one of these people, although that is an awesome Bible study. If you have a study Bible that shows you all the, the cross references and cross links to look up every one of these stories and to see, we're going to do a few of them. We're not going to do Cain and Abel, but to look and see where faith played a role in what they did and their actions. And Abel offered an offering to God. There's no, um, there's no reference explaining why he did it. There's no reference of instruction that God gave to Adam, Abel's dad. In the Garden of Eden, there were no sacrifices to be made. So there was something that went on that worked in Abel out of the garden when death had entered the world, and at some point he said, I want to offer something to God. And it involves offering my sheep and offering my goats. And so he made that offering. This is that Cain also took some things from his garden and offered them. But it wasn't by faith. It was by mimicry or imitation or, ooh, Abel's doing that. I'm going to do that too. It was not from Cain to God. It was from Cain because of Abel, this activity. It was not by faith. The next one is Enoch. Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. What? <laughs> now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So it says in Genesis that Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. And so the, the legend that, that stirred up around Enoch and the teachings of the rabbis discussing this for a couple thousand years is that Enoch walked with God was close to God, had faith in God, and God just poof and took him away and he didn't die. There's a lot of people think that Enoch is going to come back. He's one of the two witnesses at the very end of the book of Revelation because he didn't die. And Elijah is going to come with him because Elijah didn't die, right? That, there's a lot of evidence that all that 
holds water that could be. Well, the wild thing is, Enoch, here's Cain and Abel. Abel gets killed. Now, how are there going to be generations going on after Adam? Are they going to be all be from Cain and they're all going to be murderers? It was right after Abel died that Seth was born. And it was almost like for, for Adam and Eve, it was almost like a reminder that people are going to die, but life is going to go on and people are going to continue to live. Here you go. Here's another baby. And there's Seth. And Seth grows up and has kids. They have kids. They have kids. One of those is Enoch. I forget if he's a direct. I don't, I don't think he's directly after Seth, but he might be a generation or two after. Enoch is born and he lives for 308 years before Adam dies. So think about that. Here's Enoch who in his lineage, somebody that, you know, they were, you know, his uncle was murdered by his other uncle, you know, this whole business. But he can go back and talk to Adam. And he can spend 308 years talking to Adam and hearing about God. And the thinking on Enoch is that Enoch learned so much from Adam about God that he wanted it himself. And he and he pressed after and he and he sought out God and he spent time with God. And then God was just like, yep, I need to, I need to just remove you. And he was no more. And they don't talk about his death. Uh, yeah. Whoa. Okay. He was taken. He was commended as having pleased God. Now, throughout this hall of faith, there's going to be little hints. So you got a history lesson and then you got a little side of the mouth commentary to help you move on towards this kind of faith. And we get the first one of these in verse six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's impossible to please God without faith. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's not just believing in God. Even the demons believe in God, right? It says that in James and we know it from other evidence. But to believe in God that he exists and that he genuinely rewards those who seek after him. This does not mean that if I seek after God by praying four hours a day on raw rice on my knees, that that's seeking after him, right? That's just really uncomfortable and brutal and a waste of good rice. But if I'm seeking after him in my heart and soul, in the depths of my being, I am seeking after God. Do you see where all of a sudden I might steal a hubcap? I might be like King David and had this dude killed so I could steal his wife. And God would still say, that's a man after my own heart. So it's not how good you are at it. It's what you are seeking, what you are after. Do you believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him? I'm after him for what he has, 
Not his riches, not his stuff. This isn't some Joel Osteen, feel good, get rich. But I want God himself because he's the best thing in the universe. To seek after him and, and to believe that he rewards. Then we get to Noah. Oh, yeah. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the whole world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So we're not going to do the whole Noah story, but we're going to do some little bits of it. It had never rained. So if you can imagine, there was something about the, the geography of the geology of the world that water would come up from the ground and get everything wet and then sink back down into the ground. And so God says to Noah, I'm going to make it rain and I want to wipe out everything on the earth and it's going to flood. But I found you righteous and I found you faithful and you, you're, I'm going to keep you. I'm going to protect you. So sometimes you, there's a time in a lot of people's lives where they read that and they're like, okay, Noah. Living his life, doing his thing. There's all this civilization all over the place, all this business. And this voice speaks to him out of nowhere and says, I'm going to destroy the whole earth. I need you to build a giant wooden flotation device. Does that sound crazy? Like who uh, is he hearing things? Well, this is awesome. So Adam overlapped Enoch by 308 years. So Enoch gets to learn from Adam about God for 308 years. Generation, generation, kids, kids, Methuselah gets born. Methuselah gets to sit with Adam for 243 years. So not as long as Enoch, but Methuselah gets to spend some time talking to the original human man who was there. Okay. So Methuselah, 243 years, overlaps with Adam. Guess what Methuselah's name means? When he dies, judgment will come. So if your name was, when he dies, judgment would come, will come, wouldn't you just be about the safest kid on the playground? <laughs> he falls off the monkey bars, everybody's like, ah, is he okay? All right, might not have been like that. We also know from Bible trivia, who's the longest person that ever lived? Methuselah. Which just shows the mercy of God that if when he dies, judgment comes, he put it off the most of any other person. He put off Methuselah's death. So Methuselah overlaps Adam by 243 years. He's the oldest person that ever lived, and he gets to overlap Noah by 500 years. So Noah and Adam never met. But Noah 
may have met Enoch. There may have been some overlap with Enoch, but there is definitely overlap with Methuselah. And so Noah gets to talk to Methuselah, gets taught by Methuselah about Adam, and he learns about God. So when Noah hears, I am sad that I've created all these people on the earth. I'm going to wipe them all out, but I found favor with you. Noah knows who is talking to him. And he believes that. One more crazy thing. And I never, I just, I just learned this this week. So Noah has the flood. His family all spends the time in the ark and they're all floating. They come out. He has kids. They have kids, 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 people, generations, all that business. Abraham is born. Abraham overlaps Noah by 58 years. So Noah, who heard it from Methuselah, who heard it from Adam, could talk to Abraham until he's 58 years old. He didn't have kids till he was in his 90s, right? So Abraham, when Abraham hears the call, leave your father's household, leave your family, go to the land I'm going to show you, wasn't hearing a voice out of nowhere. He had had 58 years of his life training and talking to Noah of Noah's Ark, who had spent 243 years talking to Methuselah, 500 years talking to Methuselah, who spent 243 years talking to Adam. I say all that to say, we have probably all heard stories from our grandparents, right? This happened, that happened, this story, that story. These guys were telling stories of firsthand events that had happened to them. Adam told Methuselah. Methuselah told Noah. Noah told Abraham. They did not have scriptures. They did not have anything written. None of this stuff was written down. A lot of the stuff they told, they probably told in songs or in long recited poems, just like there are stories that I just don't tell my kids now, but if I start to tell them, they can mouth the story along. They know what's coming next. And then Uncle Bernie climbed out of the vat at Sterling Brewery, and they all know what comes next. That was how Abraham was taught from Noah, from Methuselah, from Adam. And they all had faith. They heard these things, they heard these stories, and they had faith. We get our faith from talking to one another, from prayer, and from reading the scriptures. They got it from talking. Wow. So then we get to verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. It wasn't out of nowhere. It was, I heard about this guy from my grandpa's grandpa's grandpa, and I want to know who God is. I've heard him. I'm seeking after him. I believe in him. I want to know him, and God calls him. By faith, he went to the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city 
that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was not looking for this sweet condo in Jerusalem. He was looking for a kingdom built by God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered God faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, Abraham, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand in the seashore. They all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Wait a minute. So Abraham didn't receive what was promised to him? No, he was promised descendants as many as the sands on the seashore and the stars in the sky. He probably only saw like, you know, a few dozen grandkids. That's not all the sand on the seashore. Noah didn't receive what he was looking forward to, the promise. There is something else coming. They live, they acknowledge they are strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak like this make it clear that they're seeking a different homeland. If they had been thinking of what land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. There's so much in here about looking forward and looking onward. We can get all wrapped up in political stuff here and now, and we can get mad about whatever the political issue of the week is that the news is using to sell trucks, because that's why they exist, is to sell advertising. And we can totally lose sight that this is not our homeland. Some days you go to the grocery store and you're like, I am a stranger in Evansville. This is not a normal place for me. I feel so out of place. That's a hint. Hey, you are a stranger here. This isn't your home. Don't get too comfortable because God is preparing a place for you and you are going there and that is your home. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Seems kind of crazy to think Abraham would sacrifice his one and only son. Why would he do that? Why would why would he want to give something so important that God had promised to him? And you think, okay, what stories had he heard? He had heard the story of Cain and Abel. He didn't have a whole, you know, collection of the Old Testament, and New Testament of stories about God. But he had this one story from way back where this one guy that he was related to real distant brought this precious lamb from his flock, part of Part of what is going to sustain him and sacrificed it to God and God received it. And this other guy took a whole bunch of vegetables and brought it. And so when God says, sacrifice your son, your only son, he's like, I don't want to be like Cain. I want to be like Abel. I want to be the one that had faith, that was faithful. 
as hard as that would be. Um, I'm going to skip down. This is really good. This is a really good passage to read. One commentary I read said that everybody at some point should read this out loud in full voice in their home. (laughs) And I thought that was funny because it was like they even said in full voice. That was the phrase they used. Like to read this out loud is really awesome. And it does increase your faith. Um, If you're if you're in in a spot where you want to increase your faith and you're praying and you want some breakthrough or you, you need some decision. This is a great chapter to read out loud and to be inspired and, and, and motivated and built up. But I want to talk about some of these little side comments. So if we skip down to um, verse 23, we skip to Moses. When he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. A little hint, don't be afraid of kings. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Here we are, team. It's 2023. And we have every opportunity every day to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin or to be with the people of God. To enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin or to engage in something that will actually grow us in Jesus. We can engage in the fleeting pleasures of sin or I can grow in friendship with my next door neighbor. So often the fleeting pleasures of sin don't just rob us of the abundant life that Jesus promised us because it's sin, but it's also because instead of doing that, instead of doing whatever that sin is, we could be fruitful for the kingdom. And a lot of times it really does work. It really is that opposite. It really is that. Because why else would the devil want us to sin? Just to take you down? What if he can take down the whole community of people that you're going to reach all around you? It's like triple word score for him. Moses did not want the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to his reward. Moses was in a spot. You could get so much money today. You could get paid so big. You could be, you could live like the son of Pharaoh. And he considered the the disdain that Christ carried better, better wealth than all the riches of Egypt. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. There is no point where Moses was able to say, look, there's God. Pharaoh, do. You better listen to him because here he comes. But the effects of God were all over and Pharaoh didn't see it. What does that tell us about? If only I could see something, I would believe it. 
If only I could have an experience or a feeling, my faith would increase. It didn't work for Pharaoh. Pharaoh had some of the most amazing, miraculous things that have ever happened in world history happen to him. And he saw them and he witnessed them. His dead son was part of it and he still didn't believe. And so that's motivation for us. You know what? Maybe, maybe I can grow in my faith by not seeing. Maybe I can have confidence this, this stuff is true without feeling like it's true. And then what happens? I have a friend and he compares all of this to paint. And he's painting his house and he goes to Lowe's and he gets the cheapest, junkiest paint there is. And only by spreading the paint on the wall do you realize how awful it is to get the cheapest, worthless, terrible paint. And you get, you, he went and he's got the Sherwin-Williams, he's a contractor, so he's got like the inside edge to get like the really, really expensive, really nice Sherwin-Williams paint. And so he said, I just wanna see if this is like, what? Why is this so much more than this? Oh my gosh, it's just name brand, blah, blah, blah. You only knew, he only knew the quality of the paint by believing it and spreading it on the wall. And then he was like, shoot, this is good paint. <laughs> it's really, he, yeah. By faith, believing things we can't see, having confidence in them. All right, I'm going to skip down to 32. What more shall I say? Time would fail me. I love it. He's out of time. I'm out of time. Time would fail me to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. Okay, wait. About half of those people were jerk faces and did all kinds of bad stuff. So why are they on this list? They're not on this list because of their good works. That's not what they're being commended for. They're being commended for their great faith. And then if you go back and you look at their lives, what they did as, as an action of their faith is why we know them. That's why they are famous. So it's not their perfection, but it's their faith in a God who makes them righteous that made them famous. Then there's this awesome list. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Wow. It, it goes on and on. It's a big adventure. These are all stories of people in the Old Testament, stories of the prophets. Um, the one guy that gets sawed in half, that's traditionally how Isaiah died. He was, he was cut in half with a saw while he was still alive. Whoa. Down to verse 38. The world of whom, these are people of whom the world was not worthy. The world did not deserve these people. Why would he say that? God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? God loves the world, but the world is fallen. The kingdom of this age is the devil's kingdom. And God is sending a covert underground mission into that kingdom to destroy it. There's a part where Jesus says, I came to destroy the works of the devil. And here we are. 
Our faith and our actions as a result of that faith are doing this. The world is not worth So next time you're at Walmart and you're like, this place is so alien. This place is so messed up. Okay, don't dwell on it. The Bible says the world is not worthy of you to walk on it. You are the holy righteousness of God. And the world does not deserve your footsteps. But God loves the people in this world. And he has sent you on a rescue mission to gather them up and to spread the good news. All of them did not receive what was promised. Verse 39. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. God could have ended the world at any moment when all of these great holy people were doing awesome things and living by faith. But he wanted to send his son Jesus to die for our sins, to raise from the dead and really show that man can live with God because God has reached out to mankind and that God has done the work. God has shown the mercy. And so then he puts his Holy Spirit into us that we're on mission. We're on patrol. We are, we are the messengers. We are going. And we're spreading this good news also so that, he says, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. God is waiting for more people to be made perfect and to get saved before he wraps the whole thing up. I had a buddy and he would pray every night. He, he was my first roommate in my house. And he, every night he would say, Lord, please don't come back tomorrow. And the first time I heard him pray that, I was like, dude, we are supposed to like, come Lord Jesus is the last line of the Bible. What are you doing? He said, I'm just praying for one more day that we can evangelize more people, that we can get the word out to more people. I want to see Jesus. I want him to come back. But I talked to this guy at the mall today and he seems like he's so close. And I'm going to go back and talk to him tomorrow. I don't want him to go to hell. It's like, wow, man, the Lord is waiting. He's sending and he's watching and he's helping. Jesus said, go to all nations, make disciples. I'll be with you every day until the end of the age. Teach him everything. And so that's the time that we're in right now. I go to Hebrews 12, 1 with the great cloud of witnesses watching us and cheering us on to get the word out that Jesus is the Savior. All right, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith, that we would put more and more trust in the coming kingdom, that whatever, whatever trust and hope we have for the current kingdom that we would transfer a hundred percent of our trust into your coming kingdom lord i pray that we would look and see the worth that you give us and the holiness that you put in us that this world is not worthy of us and yet you have sent us into it to set more captives free to grab more prisoners and to run together towards your salvation. 
We love you, we exalt you, and we praise you, Lord. Amen.